We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Jesus initiated this healing. It's just the sovereign grace of God. And probably for a lot of you, you would say the same thing about your salvation. Something that Jesus initiated with you. You know, maybe someone invited you to church and you just kind of went along and, uh, and then the Lord spoke to you. Maybe you're listening on the radio and something spoke to you and the Lord began to draw you by His Spirit. You know, and it's just, you weren't seeking Him, you weren't praying, nothing like that. You know, you're just kind of going about your life and the Lord began to reveal Himself to you. There are stories in Scripture of people that sought after Jesus for healing or spiritual guidance. But as Pastor Dan will point out in today's message, the blind man that Jesus encounters in John chapter 9 was different. He wasn't trying to find Jesus. He had been told he was cursed from a young age. He was told his blindness was a punishment from God. But Jesus saw him in his need, and he stepped into his life, bringing physical sight as well as spiritual restoration and relief from the guilt and shame of sin. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 9 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He looks like him. And the man said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay. And anointed my eyes and said to me, go to to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received sight. And then they said to him, well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, here we have this extraordinary account of Jesus healing a man who was born uh, blind. Uh, just to give you the context here, in chapter 8, if you remember, uh, there was the crowd in the temple that picked up stones to stone Jesus to, in an attempt to, to kill him uh, for, for blasphemy, for declaring that he is God. And so Jesus departed from the temple. And if you looked back, look back in verse 59 of chapter 8, we're told that as he departed, he passed through the midst of the crowd that wanted to stone him. So he passed through the midst of the crowd that was standing there with stones in their hands, ready to kill him. Uh, you know, if an angry mob uh, picked up stones to stone you, I would bet probably all of us here would run the opposite direction, right? And maybe a zigzag pattern, so we're less likely to get hit by a stone. But what Jesus does is Jesus just walks right through the midst of this crowd that is standing there with these stones, this angry mob uh, that is about to kill him. He wasn't shaken. He wasn't shaken by this confrontation. He wasn't shaken by this angry crowd. He was calm. He was controlled in the face of this hatred, in the face of this life-threatening danger, and he walked right through the crowd. Pretty tough, you know? I mean, that's a guy who's pretty confident uh, in what he's doing to walk through that crowd. And so now that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 9, where again, it says, now as Jesus passed by, so he comes out of the temple now, and as he's coming out of the temple, it says he saw a man who was blind from birth. That word saw there means he looked intently at him. It's not just a glance as he's walking by. He, he, you know, he focused in on this guy. As he leaves, uh, he sees him outside the temple. Down in verse 8, we're told that he was sitting, begging, He's probably on the southern steps of the temple leading, you know, outside the gates of the temple, you know, the steps that lead up to the temple. And I want you to note here what this guy was not doing. Uh, This guy was not praying. He was not uh, seeking God. Uh, He's not calling on the name of Jesus uh, like blind Bartimaeus. Remember Bartimaeus elsewhere in the Gospels? He was also a man who was blind. When he heard that Jesus was passing by, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when the disciples of Jesus told him to pipe down, he started yelling even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This guy's not calling for Jesus to have mercy on him. This guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. He's sitting there begging. He's a beggar. This healing demonstrates the sovereign grace of God. It's just the grace of God here. Grace is undeserved, unearned favor, undeserved merit. This this man does nothing to receive this healing. He's not even calling upon God to heal him. He's just going about his day, sitting there outside the gate of the temple, begging to those who are going in and from those who are going in and out of the temple. Jesus initiated this interaction Jesus initiated this healing. It's just the sovereign grace of God. And probably for a lot of you, you would say the same thing about your salvation. It was something that Jesus initiated with you. You know, maybe someone invited you to church and you just kind of went along 
and, uh, and then the Lord spoke to you. Maybe you're listening on the radio, and something spoke to you, and the Lord began to draw you by his spirit. You know, and it's just, you weren't seeking him, you weren't praying, nothing like that. You know, you were just kind of going about your life, and the Lord began to reveal himself to you, uh, just as he does with this man here. And notice in verse 1, we're told that this man was born blind, and that's a key detail, that he was born blind. He didn't lose his sight, he's never had sight. And in the Gospels, Jesus healed several blind people, in fact, uh, blindness was healed more than any other single affliction recorded in the Gospels. But this healing is unique because the man was born blind. And that's an important detail for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's an important detail because just like we do, people in those days tried to figure out why bad things happened to people. They wrestled with those kinds of questions. Just like we do. Why would a child be born blind? Why would a child be born with any disability? Why would a God who is loving and all-powerful and sovereign allow a child to be born with a disability? And we wrestle with those same kind of questions. Why is there evil? Why do bad things happen to, uh, to innocent people? Why do... Uh, Bad things happen to innocent children. Why do children get cancer? Why do people suffer? Why do people die young? Like all, the, all of these questions that we wrestle with, they wrestled with, and they're hard questions. They're difficult to answer. Uh, they're difficult to understand. Uh, they're, they're, they're like these, these theological puzzles you know, that you don't have all the pieces to. You have some of the pieces. You can kind of make a little bit of sense of it, but you don't have a, a complete, full, you know, satisfying answer. And they wrestled with that. And they wrestled with why, why is a child born with birth defects? And what they, what they decided, kind of where they landed theologically in that day, I'm just telling you what they believed, uh, and let me just say up front so that it's clear here, what they believed was, was wrong. It was unbiblical. What they concluded about birth defects, it's, it's not right. But what they concluded and what the rabbis taught is that birth defects were a punishment of God for sin. And that's how they made sense of birth defects. You know, there's a punishment of God. It's, it's, it's the result of some kind of sin. And again, I just want to be clear that that's, that's wrong. That's not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, certainly, some birth defects are caused by sin. Uh, you know, if a, if a woman is a drug addict while she's pregnant, she's doing a lot of drugs, it, it may cause birth defects with the child, right? But what they believed is all birth defects were the result of some kind of sin. And they believed that either, get this, either that child sinned while in the womb or the parents sinned. And that this is the punishment, this is the consequence for sin. They believe children, uh, the child sinned in the womb. Remember, David said that he was conceived in iniquity. Remember, um, Jacob and Esau wrestled and fought with each other in Rebekah's womb. And so they said, well, maybe the child sinned in utero, and that's why they're, why they're born with this defect. Or the parents sinned, 
and that this, the punishment is now put upon the child, which is totally unbiblical, totally wrong. God doesn't, put, doesn't punish the children for the sins of the parents, and he doesn't punish the parents for the sins of the children. But, and, and this is what they believed. Listen, this is what they taught. They taught that if one of the parents looked at something inappropriate, the child could be born blind. Or if one of the parents listened to something inappropriate, the child could be born deaf. Or if one of the parents said something inappropriate, the child could be born mute. We'll return to Pastor Dan's message in just a moment. First, Pastor Dan would like to tell you about the new Calvary Chapel Ellicott City app. We recently launched an app for our church and we're really excited about it. It's designed to keep you connected to our radio ministry, Ring of Truth, as well as to our church, Calvary Chapel. And get this, we have over 1,200 sermons on the app. The app is super convenient, it's easy to use, and allows you to listen to Bible studies anytime, anywhere. So download the app right now, search for Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City in your app store, or just follow the links on our website at calvaryec.com. What a great way to stay connected to Scripture. Now, back to today's message on Ring of Truth. That theology is so wrong and so dumb. I mean, think about it. If that's true, we all would be born blind, deaf, and mute, and all of our kids would be blind, deaf, and mute because we've all looked at things and listened to things and said things that were inappropriate at some point in our lives, right? So it's just dumb. But that's, that's where they were. That's what they, that's what they believed. Uh, that was kind of their theology. And you see that theology in the question the disciples ask in verse 2. Look at verse 2. The disciples ask Jesus, when they see this blind man who is born blind, somehow they're able just to look at him and know that he's born blind, I suppose. And they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, they've got that theology. And in their minds, uh, there, there's only two possible explanations for this man being born blind. Either he sinned in utero or his parents sinned, and this is the consequence. He's born blind. In the Old Testament, Job's friends had a similar Theology. They believe tragedy is the result of sin in your life. That's what Job's friends believe. Tragedy is the result of sin. Again, totally wrong, totally unbiblical. There are people today that have a similar view. You know, you have your, you know, your positive confession people. You know, your name it and claim it, blab it and grab it type stuff. Where if you, if you say positive things, then positive things will happen to you. If you say and declare negative things, negative things will happen to you. I remember years ago, uh, there was a woman that uh, uh, went to the church. She had to go to the emergency room. She was having severe pain in her stomach. And she's there, and she's in pain in the emergency room. And her family's also there. I go, I go there, uh, and some of her family members were this positive confession thing, you know. And so every time she would complain about the pain, and how uncomfortable she was. There were family members there saying, don't say that. Don't say that. Every time she'd groan, don't groan, right? You know, because it's negative. And, and it's going to become true. 
And that was kind of the theology of the day. That was the theology of, of, of Job's friends. If you remember Job's story, uh, in one day, we're told, one day, uh, all of Job's children died in an accident. Uh, foreign invaders came and killed his servants, stole his flocks, robbed Job of his wealth and property. And one day, Job lost all of his children, all of his wealth, all of his property, And when Job's three friends heard about the adversity that that came upon Job, they went to Job to be with him and comfort him. And we're told in, in the book of Job that his friends initially, when they came, they just sat with Job silently and they didn't say anything. And sometimes that's the best way to minister to someone who's gone through a loss is to just just sit there with them and don't say anything. Just be there. Just be present with them. That's what Job's friends did initially. And then after about a week, they started to ask some questions. And they started to try to figure out why this happened. Isn't that what we do? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? And why did this calamity, why did all these calamities come upon our friend Job? And and again, that's, that's just what we do. When bad things happen to us, we start to ask why. Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? And we go over it and over it and over it and over it in our minds, trying to figure out why, trying to solve this unsolvable riddle. Why? Job's friends concluded, well, there must be sin in your life, Job. You've got some unconfessed sin, and God's punishing you now by bringing all of these calamities on you. Come clean, Job. Confess the sin, and then healing will come to your life. And we can wrestle with the questions of why. Why did this happen? Why did this come upon me? Why am I going through this? And let me just say to you, uh, you're, you're, you're never going to answer that, this side of heaven. You're never going to get that answer. It's, it's just a riddle that has no answer, this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, we're going to know all things. You're going to know the why. Right now, you're not going to know the why. There's a Josh Garrel song called Farther Along. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. But not right now. In heaven, you'll understand why. Here, the disciples, they asked Jesus basically uh, this question. Why? Why was this man born blind? Did he sin? Is that why he was born blind? Or did his parents sin? And that's why he was born blind. You know, it's hard for us to imagine with this kind of bad theology that they were teaching at that time, it's, it's hard to imagine uh, what kind of anguish and guilt the parents went through. Uh, how many times did they ask why? Why was our son born blind? What did we do wrong to bring this affliction on our child? Again, they, they were taught that it's the punishment of God for sin, either in their lives or sin in their child's life when he was in utero. And I'm sure that that just brought unimaginable guilt upon the parents. of What did we do to cause our child to be born blind? Maybe it brought a conflict between the man and his parents. Maybe the man blamed his parents. You did this to me. You ruined my life. It's your fault that I was born blind. Maybe he resented his parents. We don't know. So the, the detail here that he was born blind, it's an important detail for us to understand the story. It's also important for us to note that he's born blind here because uh, they also taught in that time that only God could heal someone 
who was born blind. Only God could do it. Because it's the judgment of God in their minds, and their theology. This is the judgment of God. So only God can lift that judgment. So they believe that only God can heal a person born blind. Again, there's other examples in the Gospels of people that became blind that were healed. But this one's unique because the guy's born blind. And in their mind, that's the judgment of God. Only God can lift this judgment. They taught that when the Messiah comes, he's going to give sight to the blind. And that will be a sign of the Messiah, a messianic sign. That's how you'll be able to identify him. I'll give you a couple verses. There's a lot of verses that talk about this in the Old Testament. But here's just two for you. Psalm 146, verse 8, if you're taking notes, it says, The Lord, and it's all capital letters, L-O-R-D, it's Jehovah. The Lord, Jehovah, opens the eyes of the blind. It's only the Lord. It's only God who does it. Uh, Psalm, or I'm sorry, um, Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 and 6. Say to those who are fearful hearted, listen to what it says. Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come. Who's going to come? Your God. God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. And then when God comes, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, that the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing the mute for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. When God comes, the eyes of the blind shall be open. And so they taught, they believed rightly so that only God can open the eyes of the blind. Only God can open the eyes of someone born blind. So that's important here. That's important to the context here. The disciples, again, they asked rabbi who sinned this man or his parents that this man was born blind. And look at Jesus's answer now in verse three. His answer is so important for us and in helping us in facing our affliction, facing uh, the things that we have to suffer through in this life. Look at what he says. Who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer is neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. So right here he corrects that theology, that bad theology says that's wrong. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. The disciples asked the wrong question. The question is not why did this happen? The question is what will God do with it? What will God do with it? Not why has it happened? Again, you're never going to answer that question. You're never going to solve that riddle. The question should be, what will God do with it? What will God do with it? And, and again, we've all, had, we've all had tragic things happen in life. We've all suffered, suffered. We've all had setbacks. We've all experienced afflictions of different kind. We could go around the room and, and we all have stories to tell of things that have happened, tragic things that have happened. And again, how do you look at those tragedies? How do you look at your afflictions? We can strip our gears trying to figure out why, and we never get that answer. 
We never get a satisfactory answer to that question. But the question we should be asking is not why, but what will God do? He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. The book of 1 John invites followers of Jesus into a consistently growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. The Christian walk isn't meant to stagnate, no matter how long you've been pursuing your relationship. There's always more to discover about your Almighty Creator, and more ways in which He can refine your heart. As you've done already today by joining Pastor Dan for Ring of Truth, we encourage you to continue spending time in the Word regularly. We also urge you to make conversation with God a regular part of your routine as well praying and listening to what your Heavenly Father wants to say to you. And know that here at Ring of Truth, we're also praying for you. We're so glad you joined us today, and we'd like to invite you to visit us here at Calvary Chapel. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. Or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. That's all for today. Join us next time for more right here on Ring of Truth. Reach true.